All right, well, again, right there in Genesis chapter 43, a quick little nutshell review of Joseph, just to get us up to speed of where we're at in his life. Joseph, you know, as you're there in chapter 43, why don't you jump back to chapter 37, actually? We're going to look at a couple little passages that'll tell us who Joseph is, the family in which he comes from, and what we've discovered going through the life of Joseph is that he is a picture of Jesus. And that has been exciting for us because as we look at Joseph, Joseph being a picture of Jesus, uh, one of the most obvious things that we have pointed out with the kids, and that is, is that Joseph is only a couple, one of a couple of the men in the Old Testament that he, you see his story, but no sin of his is mentioned. There's another uh, man whose no sin is mentioned as well, and that would be Daniel. But no, no sin is mentioned of Joseph, just like no sin was ever uh, done by or mentioned of Jesus, of course, because he was a man without sin as he came to this earth. And so here's Joseph, this guy, he, this young kid. This is where we're going to pick it up in chapter 37. Uh, it says, now Jacob, that's his dad, dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zil Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought bad, a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. Now, you'll see that name intermixed intermittently, Jacob and Israel. They mean the same thing. So you might see that in text, and I might even refer to them as both. But we know that Jacob is Israel. Israel is Jacob. And it says there that Israel loved him, Joseph, more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. And so that is one interesting part of the story. Because this is sort of like the beginning of what we're going to see as the hatred of his brothers to him. The brothers start to kind of develop this little jealousy and this little uh, hatred towards Joseph. And they see and they know and they sense that, that man, dad loves him more than us. Look, look how he treats him. He's, he's the youngster. He's the baby. And so he gets everything. Look, he gets everything handed to him. And now here he is, he's got this tunic, this special, we didn't get a tunic. Well, where's our jacket? Where's our coat? And one of the things that we realize is that, uh, as we discovered this, is that this could have been a coat of many colors, colors or perhaps what we realized was sleeves. Sleeves. Many pieces, colors, but most importantly, sleeves. Why is that important? Because in those days, customarily, uh, the, the workers, the, the men that were out doing the work, they didn't have sleeves because sleeves got in the way. They got in the equipment, and they'd get hung up, and, and that sort of thing. You can't really work and do the work with sleeves. No, you, you, you need a, a tunic that just covers your body, but you have arms free to do the work. But yet, Joseph gets a coat with sleeves. Why? Because the people that wore the sleeves were the foremen, the men in charge, the men running the job. And so the brothers, you can see, they're older, and you think they have more of that coming. But instead, here comes the youngster, the baby, 
with sleeves? Wait a second. What does that tell them? Oh, hey, guys. I, I love him more. I gave him a jacket and a plus sleeve, so he's in charge. That's how they view it. That's how they see it. So this began the, the tension. This began the jealousy and the hatred that we're going to see as this story develops. But verse 4, back in 37, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him, and they couldn't speak peaceably to him. Now it gets worse. Joseph is a dreamer, and he has these dreams, and just when you think it couldn't get worse, and just when you think the brothers couldn't hate him anymore, oh, it goes on. Verse 5, Now Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And he said to them, please hear this dream which I've dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and, and bowed down to my sheaf. Hey, guys, that's a cool dream, right? Really? And verse 8, I think you can tell what the brothers are going to say. And they said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. <laughs> you're the kid. You're the baby. You get everything you ask for. You're, you're taking care of. Dad loves you more. He made you a coat. Now it's, it's even got sleeves. And what, what are you in charge? And then you tell us about these dumb dreams you're having, like we're going to bow down to you. <sighs> Come on. But he dreamed again. And you'd think, you know, the response that he got the first dream, he'd keep his mouth shut. Oh, no. No, no, verse 9. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream, guys. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I... And your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you. And his brothers e envied him. But his father kept the matter in his mind. Interesting. Indeed, these, these dreams will come true. And they did come true. And that's a couple of chapters later where we're going to pick it up today. But just a nutshell of what happens from this point on. It goes on because... The brothers are out with the flocks, and um, the father wants to know what's going on with the brothers. And so he, he sends Joseph out, hey, go see what's going on with the brothers. Well, he goes out, and the brothers look at him, and they're like, oh, look, here comes the dreamer. Oh, what's he doing? Get out of here, you runt. Little kid brother, get out of here. This is, we're the men. The men are out here working. And so he's like, hey, guys, dad just wants to know. Yeah, yeah, be quiet. And, and it just goes on and on, and this, develop, this development begins to uh, continue to a point where they actually consider uh, killing Joseph, their own brother. It's interesting because Joseph, being a picture of Jesus, his brethren hated him too. So much so, the fact that they, to the point of them wanting to kill him. And it's so cool because what you see is even though Joseph is a picture of Jesus, the brothers are a picture of the, the Hebrews or the Jews. And you see this correlation as we have gone through verse by verse and as we've gone through chapter by chapter, we've been able to extract and pull those parallels.
themselves out, and it's mind-blowing. So the brothers, instead, what they do is they, don't kill him. Listen, just put him in this pit. So they do, and they put him in this pit for three days, and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. Well, finally, these traders come by, and these traders are, are passing through the land, and as they do, they get this bright idea, hey, let's not kill him, let's sell him. We'll just sell him, and, and we'll, you know, we'll make up a story to dad. And so that's what they do. They, they pull him up out of, out of this uh, pit, this little cave that they were hiding him in, and so they sold him to these traders who were on their way to Egypt. Well, now they got to make up a story. What happened? How, we have to come up with something. So what they do is they, they take an animal and they kill it and they put the blood all over his, his tunic. And that way when they return back to dad, they go, is, is, is this the, the tunic, the, the coat that you made your son? Is this it? Like they didn't know, right? They ripped it up and tore it up and put blood all over it. Is this, dad, is this the coat that you made your son? And... Of course, you know the story. Jacob loses it. Oh, he's so upset, of course, because that's his boy. His boy was killed. And oh, a wild animal must have gotten him. And that was the story. In the meantime, Joseph is taken to Egypt, and then he is uh, bought by a man named, that's right, Potiphar. Potiphar uh, buys him. And here's what's really cool about this story. Joseph is purchased by Potiphar, and Potiphar sets him up in his home as a, as a servant, as a slave. But what's interesting is this, is that Potiphar's home was completely and totally blessed. It was blessed by the presence of Joseph. Really cool. In fact, so much, in fact, that Joseph was, he had risen to the level of he was the top dog. He was in charge of everything. In fact, we're told that even his finances was handled by Joseph. The only thing that Potiphar had in his house that Joseph could not have was Potiphar's wife. Like Joseph didn't want that anyway. He was in charge of everything else. So all of the servants came to him and they answered to him. Joseph directed these guys to go do that. He directed these guys to do that. Hey, make sure the horses, stables, and chariots are taken care of. I want you to do. And he oversaw everything. And he, he saw the whole household of Potiphar, he oversaw the whole household business. He was blessed. And you know what we learned in that story? And this is really cool, especially specific to the high schoolers and the college age and young adults, is that you're going to find out in your life, when you're worshiping the Lord and you're serving the Lord with a fervent heart, 100% sold out, you know what happens? Everywhere you go, that place gets blessed. Just because of your presence, because by your presence being there, Jesus' presence is there. And that was so cool. No matter where it's at, the campus, the office, the work site, wherever it is that you work, or wherever it is that you go and whatever it is that you do, that place will be blessed because of you. Why? Because you're fervently serving the Lord. And that was a cool thing, and it's, a, it's an encouraging thing for us. So the story goes on, and you guys know the rest, just to nutshell this up. Potiphar's wife comes in, and she comes in with longing eyes. And I don't know what longing eyes look like, but I, that was my interpretation to the kids of longing eyes. And they go, you're dumb. I said, I know. But she comes in with longing eyes, and the point is, is that no one else is in the, in the house. No one else is around. And so that's when she pounces. 
And, and that's when she seizes her moment. And you guys know the story. She tries to seduce him and entice him. And he, even to the point where he slithers out of his, his coat and he runs, right? Because he says, this is an evil thing. How could I do this? How could I do this to, uh, you know, to my master, meaning Potiphar? Well, he slithers out of the robe and runs out. Well, now she's got this robe in her hands. And so what does she do? Not getting uh, her plan, not going through like she wanted. Of course, she screams out and the other men come in and she has this elaborate story of how Joseph was trying to uh, take advantage of her in that moment. Well, of course, it was a lie. Potiphar comes home. Here's the story. He's furious. Can you imagine? But what we understood in that story was that he was furious but everyone always thinks that he's furious at Joseph. What we realized was that he was more furious with his wife because perhaps she's had these evil little tendencies before. And Joseph being Joseph, Potiphar's smart enough to realize and know that now this is way out of character for Joseph. He would have never done this. But he's painted in a corner. You know, he's, he, he sees what's going on, he sees it for what it is, and he's furious because he has to do something about it. This would have been an execution. This would have been, this would have been uh, the end for Joseph. But instead, Potiphar, frustrated, knowing he's painted into a corner, has to do something, he puts Joseph in prison. And that's where Joseph ends up. So you see the highs and the lows of Joseph's life. He's been there before. His brothers even hated him, threw him in a pit, sold into slavery. Now he's at Potiphar's house, rose to a high level in that house of, of you know, notoriety and, and command, and then boom, back down into prison, into the dungeon. You remember what happens while he's there. A couple of guys are there, and they came from the court of Pharaoh, and they're in trouble too, the chief baker and the butler. Remember, they're there in prison, and with him, and so we don't understand or know what the story is behind why Pharaoh had put him in prison, but we just know that it was bad enough for them to be there. And there they were with Joseph there, and they each had dreams too. Well, Joseph's a dreamer, and he's really good at uh, what he, we find out is he's good at interpreting these dreams. And so you guys remember the story, not to get too far deep into it, but one survives and one loses his head. The chief baker, he loses his head. But the butler is restored to his previous position in the court of Pharaoh. And Joseph, in these dreams, told him that would happen, and it happened perfectly. He said, just do this for me, Joseph said. Remember me. Remember me. And that's what Jesus would tell us. He tells you and me the same thing. And we got to celebrate that this morning as John led us through communion, and we celebrated that. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus tells us the exact same thing today. Remember me. And Joseph said that. He said, hey, just remember me. And did the butler do that? <laughs> Not for a while. Took a long time. Years later, Pharaoh has some dreams. You remember those stories. And the, the dreams that Pharaoh had, no one could interpret. And all of a sudden, a buzzer goes off, and the butler's like, oh, hey. Hey, wait. I know someone who can interpret dreams. Well, summon him, and so they do. And so they go get Joseph. They tell him to clean up. You're going to go before Pharaoh today. And so he does. And the dreams that Pharaoh had were actually prophetic dreams of what was about to come onto the land, a great famine. 
First, it was going to be seven years of great plenty. But after that, it was going to be seven years of famine. In fact, it's going to be such a severe famine in the land that they wouldn't even remember the abundant seven years ahead. Well, Joseph is summoned. He's cleaned up. He's brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I'm told you can interpret dreams. Joseph's like, yeah, I can do that through the help of the Lord God. Well, here are my dreams. And he, he tells them, and Joseph interprets them perfectly. In fact, it made so much sense to Pharaoh that he says, you know what? You're second in command. Wait, what? You're second in command. In fact, you're going to be over all of the operations of Egypt. In fact, I will only be over you as it relates to the throne. You're my right-hand guy. Wow. How do you go from a dungeon and in the same day, you're second in command of that country? That's a God thing, exactly. That's the Lord. That was a miracle. And that miracle happened. And now Joseph was in charge of going throughout the land. And what he did was come up with a plan to, to put a percentage of the grain in those seven abundant years, to put a percentage of those grains in the silos to store up for those seven years of extreme famine. And the plan was uh, brilliant because it came from the Lord. And Pharaoh couldn't be happier. Well, it gets us to our story today. Sorry for that long introduction, but I think it was necessary for us to see where we're at to get this snapshot. The, the brethren, the brothers, they're back at home, and they're starving because of the famine in the land. We're not getting, we're probably getting uh, low batteries here. Um, but so the famine is happening, and the brothers are hungry. Dad's hungry, and Dad looks around at the sons and says, what are you guys just sitting around for? Go to Egypt and get us some food. And so that's what they do. Jump over to chapter 42. Just a, a quick thought here in chapter 42, and then we'll move on to our, our chapter in 43. There's a discussion taking place here, as you can put yourself in the scene. The brothers are speaking, and we'll pick it up in verse 22 of chapter 42. They have come, and they have seen Joseph. Joseph has, has seen them. Of course, they don't recognize their brother. They don't recognize Joseph. They came before him, and they, they told him what is happening. Uh, you know, we're experiencing famine. We're starving. And, and Joseph sees them and recognizes them immediately. Can you imagine Joseph? He obviously looks like an Egyptian, right, in command. Um, they just think they're coming to this foreign ruler uh, begging for uh, grace as they fall before him. So a discussion ensues, and then verse 22, and Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. This goes back to the time when they were considering killing him. And he says, No, don't kill him. And uh, basically just put him in the cave, let us think about it. Reuben leaves the scene, comes back, Joseph's already gone. So that kind of gets us up to date. He, didn't I tell you not to do that? Didn't we see the anguish? And, and he says there, but you did not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. 
But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. This discussion is happening amongst these brothers. They're finding themselves in a really hard place. Joseph is accusing them of being spies in the land. You, you didn't come here for food. You, you've come here to spy out our land. You've come to see how much, uh, how much substance we have. You, you didn't come here for food. You're spies. And they're like, no, no, we're not. No, honest. No, we're, we're honest men. And so remember, Joseph, he's got a disguise. He's an Egyptian, a man of prominence, of power. He's speaking to them through an interpreter. He knows exactly what they're saying. And then they get into this discussion, and basically what he says is like, okay, guess what? Go back and get your family. Go back, and, and, and I'll let you take food back, but you're going to keep one of your brothers here. One of you staying here. And if you come back with your younger brother, then I'll know you're not spies, if you're honest men, like you say. So they're finding themselves in a predicament. One of them is going to be thrown into prison while the rest have to go back and explain this story to dad. He's not going to take it well. And so Joseph's standing there, and he's listening to this discussion, and they're going back and forth, and he just stands there like he can't understand them, but he hears every word. Very interesting. Very neat scene. 24. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So Simeon is the one that is chosen to be bound and thrown in prison while they go back to their land. Now that's interesting. Why was Simeon chosen? Because Simeon means hearing. That's what Simeon means. So when they left to go back to their land, they left without hearing. Why is that important? Why would that mean anything to us? Well, the Bible is timeless. God is timeless. And it shows us a picture all the way back to, uh, fast forward from here, history for us, May of 1948, when finally the world has sympathy for the Jew. Finally. And, and we, we learn what happened, we as a world and we as a nation, learn what actually happened to the Jew in World War II. And we, we start seeing the evidence of what took place. And the world finally has sympathy for the Jew. And so the Jew finally begins to get their homeland. And in May of 1948, that took place. They had their homeland. They got their homeland. They, they planted their flag. And guess what? Jews from all around the world... Remember, Egypt is a picture of the world. They were leaving Egypt, if you will, going back to their land. But guess what? They went back to their homeland without hearing. What do you mean? Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah is speaking in reference to Jesus, and he's saying that um, hearing you will hear and not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. And that is a picture of the Jewish uh, people to this day, for the most part. They don't see Jesus for who he said he was. They're still looking for their Messiah, even today. And so they have a, a blinding of them, but also, too, their ears, they hear you, but they don't really he hear you. They don't really understand, and that's what Isaiah said would happen. So just as these guys are leaving without Simeon, without hearing, back to their homeland, we see the same thing happen in 1948. 
on a grander scale, of course, they returned back to their homeland without hearing even to this day. And that's what we discovered. So great stuff here. Getting down to verse 25, then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain and restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus he did for them. So these guys came with money. They came, came with sacks of money and, and they tried to pay for this food. Because in essence, really, as you zoom out and look at this whole picture, what was the food? The food was salvation for the family. It was salvation for, from hunger. And Joseph's like, mm, no. Just like our Lord would tell us, you cannot buy salvation. They find out as they leave Egypt, they, they set up camp, and as they open the sacks of their grain to feed the donkeys, they, each man finds his sack of money in the mouth of the sack of grain. And they go, oh, no! Now it's going to look like we stole the grain. Like we tried to pull a fast one. We told them we were honest men. And now it looks like we're, we're pulling a fast one. Look, we all have our money. And really what it was is no. Joseph told the servants, he said, put their money back in the grain. In other words, you cannot buy salvation. He said, I'm not going to let you buy this. This is, this is a free gift. I'm giving this to you. These are parallels we're seeing, and it's fascinating. Now, we will jump over to chapter 43, as I promised. Now, join me there. That kind of gets us caught up, and it gave us a snapshot of where we're at. So now, with all that background, let's see what happens. The famine is continuing. It's, it's bad. They burn through the food that they brought back, and now guess what? They're hungry again. Chapter 43, verse 1, now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. Just so you know, Joseph said, hey, I'm keeping Simeon here. You told me you had a younger brother. You say you're honest men. If I ever see you here again, you better have your little brother with you. Really what Joseph's saying is, I want to see my little bro. In fact, when we did this teaching uh, a few weeks ago, that's the title of this teaching is, Sup, bro? What he's saying is, look, if I ever see your face again, you better have your little brother here with you that you told me you had, if you're honest men. And if not, well... You don't want to see those consequences. So they're still in a predicament. One of their brothers is back in prison in Egypt. They come back with this, this I don't know if you want to call it a threat, but basically, look, here's what it is. If you ever come back for more food, you better have your little brother with you. So they're there, and this is the predicament. Verse 3, Judah spoke to him saying, the men solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. We're talking about Benjamin here, uh, the younger brother. Number six, and Israel said, "What?" Well, <laughs> Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? Hey, why'd you open your big mouth? Why'd you tell him you had another brother? Don't you know? He's my youngest. Joseph used to be. Joseph passed away in his mind. Now I got another one, and now you want to take him too? 
Why'd you open your big trap? Well, what does he say? But verse 7, but they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him, according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? They're in impossible predicaments because Joseph's asking questions that he knows the answers to. In other words, he's like, do you have a father? And is he still alive? Through interpreters, of course. Really what Joseph wants to know is, hey, how's dad? How's dad? Is he okay? Man, I miss him. Oh, and you got a younger brother? Oh, how's he doing? Hey, I want to see him. But he can't say it like that because why? He's still in disguise. He's still this powerful Egyptian ruler of prominence. So he comes up with these ways of like, hey, I'm going to see my brother and I want to know about my dad, but we're going to do it my way. Verse 8, then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you also are little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Hey, I will take the blame if anything happens to him. I've got him. I'll bring him back to you. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. Hey, if we wouldn't sit in here, gar you know, gabbing about this whole thing we could have been back by now so let's just do this verse 11 and their father israel said to them if it must be so then do this take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man a little balm a little honey spices and myrrh pistachio nuts and almonds sounds good take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. It wasn't. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Oh, this is very, very reluctant. He sees, the father sees that we are in this impossible situation, this uh, snafu, if you will. How do we get out of this? We can't. We need food. The famine is so severe. It's so severe that those seven years of, of you know, profitable years, that we can't even remember those anymore. This is so bad. We're starving. We're hungry. Our little ones are, could you imagine the desperation? And they're all looking at each other like, what do we do? And... <laughs> Judah's like, hey, if we're going back, I got to take Benny. I got to take him. Well, oh, severe reluctance. But finally the father caves and says, okay. He goes, I, I hope nothing happens to him. Perhaps you can go get some more food, get your other brother, and bring back Benjamin as well. Verse 15, so the men took the present in Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose and went to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. 
Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man, br- uh, the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time uh, that we are brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. Ugh, I know what this is about. They're, they're fearful. They're like, oh, he found out. He found out that the money went back with us, and now they, he's going to charge us. Now we're in big trouble. Now we're going to go to prison, and they're going to take our pickup trucks. Ugh. Verse 19. And when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. And they said, oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to, to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Interesting. Interesting. This is a picture of how God sees money. Did you know that? They take money to go buy something to save their family. They went thinking they have to buy. And in fact, it was a free gift. Joseph was not going to let them buy that salvation. Just as our Lord says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. You can't buy salvation. It's a free gift. And so they come back and they say it again. And and what does the man say? He says, I had your money. The Lord God has blessed you. And it's really what we discovered with the kids is that this is a picture of us tithing. As we, in obedience, give our tithes to the Lord, you know what happens? It's like it's his already anyway. But then he turns around and he blesses you and me in just the most amazing times, perfect timing, uh, at the at the right moment when we need it the most the point is you cannot outgive god you cannot outgive god and that's how god sees money look it's not about the money people get hung up on that it's not about the money it's about you and it's about me and it's about my heart and when we release that money our provisions, when we release that into the basket and let go, we're letting go of a little bit of our flesh and our our human nature. We're letting go of that saying, Lord, it's yours. And then what does he do with it? He says, "I, I had it the whole time. And then he turns around and he blesses us in the most opportune time when we need it the most, and we're just blown away. And if you've seen this happen in your life, you know what I'm talking about. You you can't explain it. You're like, wow, Lord. And all we had to do was be obedient. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And that's exactly how he sees it. It's not about the money. It's about my heart. And it's about yours as well, us growing. It's that internal work that he's doing in you and me to prepare us for eternity. That's what it's about. Well, it's a neat picture. And it says there, verse 24, So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. 
and they washed their feet, and they gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. Verse 26. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Oh, look at that. Looky there. You know, years before this, they scoffed and laughed. Well, I don't know if they were laughing, but they definitely scoffed, vehemently chewing him out. Who, who, who do you think you are? Uh, our sheaves bow down to your sheaves, and oh, these stars bow down to you. Come on, are you going to have dominion over us? Really? When or how could you ever be over us? Hello. Isn't it interesting how life works? Isn't it interesting how God works? Who could have orchestrated this? You, you could not have made this up if you had to. This is a true story. This really happened. And now here they are, and they have no idea they're bowing down before their brother. Oh, they think he's long gone. They think he's dead. What, who, whatever the, the traitors, wherever they took him, you know, and they made up a story. They covered their tracks, they thought. And now here they are, finding themselves bowing down before the very man that they thought they got rid of. Interesting. So they bow down before him to the earth, verse 27, and he asked them about their well-being. And remember, this is all happening through interpreters. He's still got to keep up the show. He still has to keep up the disguise, right? And there's a reason for it. He has not revealed himself to them yet. But through the interpreters, as we're told, he, he asks them, hey, how, how you doing? And he says, uh, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? In other words, hey, how's pops? How's dad? That's what his heart is saying. He wants so bad to just, oh, you know, do away with this whole show, but there's a reason for it. So he puts on the persona, and he puts on the, the show, if you will, and he's still this, this powerful Egyptian ruler and through interpreters and uh, how is the old man that you spoke of before? Is he still alive? But his heart's saying, how's dad? Oh, is he okay? That's what he's wanting to say. But he does it his way for right now. And so, where did we go? Oh, verse 28. And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves again. More reverence, more bowing, right? They're just like laid out before him. Uh, he's good. <laughs> you know, it, it really gives the picture. I mean, put yourself at that scene. Joseph is in 100% control here of this whole situation. 100% control. They are prostrated out. They don't know if they're going to prison. They don't know if they're going to get executed. They don't know if they're going to get charged for theft. They've put up this whole elaborate story that, hey, we're, we're honest men, promise, you know, and all these things. Uh, but they, they don't know any, man, they're just like, whoop, bowed down, prostrated out. Joseph's in control. He's asking the questions. And so he says, uh, verse 29, then he lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin Wow, for the first time, his whole brother, 
his brother Benjamin, he sees him. That was the plan all along. Oh, you say uh, you have a brother? If I ever see your faces here again, you better have them with you. And that's how they left with that. Huh. Well, now we have to go back and we have to take Ben. And it really was about, I want to see my little bro. I want to see him. But again, the persona. And he looks up, it says there, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now watch this. Ah, the humanity. He can't handle it. Verse 30. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. He can't handle it. That was it. Oh, he sees his brothers. He sees their desperation. He sees their pain. And he sees that they're, they're in this impossible predicament, one that he came up with, by the way. But he had to to keep up this persona, this, uh, this testing, if you will. And he sees them, and he's fighting every feeling in him, this, this tough Egyptian in-charge ruler. Remember, second in charge of Egypt, a big deal. Okay, second in charge, and he's putting on this persona, but he sees his little bro. What's up, bro? Oh my gosh, that's my little brother. And the feelings are overwhelming. And he says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and he bolts, and he can't handle it, and he goes to his chambers, and he weeps. Gosh, can you guys put yourself there? He could not have made this up. He couldn't believe that this is happening. And just like they were, just like their word, they said, okay, we'll bring him back. If you ever see us again, he'll be with us. And there he was. And he, he just, he, he couldn't handle it. He lost it. And so he, you know, in his way, he, he exited the scene, exit stage right, went to his chambers, and he wept. His heart was, oh, so hurting for his brothers, for his family. Oh, incredible story. What a scene. And he wept there in his chambers. In verse 31, and then he washed his face and came out, and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. Now, they're about to have a big old barbecue, okay? They're going to have a, they, they, they killed the fatted calf or killed the animal, whatever it was. I don't know if it's a cow or not, but they're going to have a big old feast. And you can imagine Joseph has anything he wants at his disposal as it relates to food. I would have loved to have been there. Uh, what are they going to eat? Serve the bread, he says. He comes out, he gathers himself. <clears throat> okay, we're good. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> and he comes back out, this powerful Egyptian. Ser serve the bread. Okay, the persona is back. The humanity, he gets control. Serve the bread, he says. So, verse 32, they, they, sent him a they set him a place by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. The persona, the, uh, the disguise has to continue. It has to continue. So Joseph sits over with the other Egyptians, and he sets up a place for his brothers over here on the other side. They can't eat together. So to keep this whole image alive, 
He eats with the Egyptians. Verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Wait a second. They were set at the table in order of their age, from oldest to youngest. And they were directed where to sit. And the brothers are like, uh, how did he know? How did he know? It was set in perfect order based upon from oldest to youngest. And they looked at each other and marveled like, um, you know, I thought we'd just like kind of sit around. Oh, no, they're sitting in order. Who would have known to do that? Well, Joseph, of course, but they still don't know. So they're still kind of blown away. They're set in order according to their age. Now look there, verse 34. Now this is great. I love this. And he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. This is great. Benjamin, the youngest, he gets five times more food than all the other guys. This did not happen in that culture, as you guys are well aware. The oldest, as it relates to custom, uh, Jewish customs and how inheritance worked, the oldest was in charge of dividing up the inheritance. Neat job. I'm the oldest, so I say what I say goes. And so they would divide everything up, and it was his job. The oldest got to do that. What, quite a responsibility. How neat. Only one catch. The youngest got to choose first. That's how we keep it fair. If I'm the oldest and I say, okay, <clears throat> so I'll divide this all up the way I see fit. Well, I want all of this. And then you guys get all this, the rest. But to keep it fair, the young one would say, okay, I'll take that. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, you didn't think that through at all, did you? So that's how we keep it fair. So the oldest got to, he was in charge of dividing up all of the inheritance. And I, you can better believe everything was perfectly weighed equally. Everything was divided up perfectly equally. Because when the young one got to choose, well, there was really nothing too outlandish because he would have gone, of course, for the, the greatest things. And so in this instance, they're sitting at the table. They're told where to sit. They look around, and they realize they're sitting in order uh, from oldest to youngest. And then when the food comes out, everyone gets this plate of food, but they all look down the table. And Benjamin has a plate with ribs stacked high, mashed potatoes, biscuits falling. It's like he's got five times as much as all of them. And they got to be going, wait, what? How could, I don't, I want ribs. Why didn't I, and he's got so much food, and Benjamin's got to be like, <laughs> sweet, ha, all right. Hey, guys, what are you, oh, not much? Cool. And just starts going to town. I mean, he's got this five times as much, but everyone else, and the, the oldest, could you imagine? Like, okay, no, no. But he's not going to say anything. Now, why would Joseph do that? 
it's like he's playing mind games, kind of. It's like, ah, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens here. I'm going to do something fun. Hey, hey, servants, come here. They're probably like, doesn't mean anything to us. We're going to eat good. So they do. And, and so what do you think Joseph's up to? The thought and what we discovered when we went through this with the youth is, is that Joseph wants to see how these older brothers react. Because he remembers when he was blessed, oh, the love of the father. Oh, come here, young, my, young, my young boy, my, my, my little one, my, my young man, the son of my old age. And how he would, you know, spend time with him and, and made him a coat of many colors or with sleeves. And, and would, would give him this and give him that and bless him because he, well, he's, he's the young one. He's the little guy. And how he was blessed very much, he remembers how he was treated by those very same brothers in that day. Could it be that now Ben is the young guy? He's the little one in relation and so when he's blessed five times over and he's got this big plate, Joseph's over there at the other table going, all right, let's see how these guys act, right? Well, they couldn't do much in that setting, but could you imagine? I'm sure he was looking at their eyes like, or are they just like, hmm, okay, and they dive into their plate. How would they react? I think he kind of wanted to see. And so, you know... Here's what we took away from that teaching. What we took away from that teaching at that time was, you know, it's real easy to, when someone experiences illness or tragedy or something bad, you know, we go, oh, oh, that's, oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. Oh, and our hearts, oh, we, our hearts go out. Oh, man, oh, can we, let's pray. You know, we have a bunch of Christianese words we throw at them, and oh, you know, it's terrible. But when people are massively blessed, how do we react? And that's something that each and every one of us, it's not just the kids. Yeah, they have to learn that at a young age as well, but even us, older Christians, we have to watch it. You know, when people are just, the blessings are pouring out upon them, and they got the great job, and, and man, it comes with all these benefits, and they got a raise, and that's, they're buying this, and, and they're just blessed, and we're like, oh, cool. <laughs> or someone comes out, and, you know, they re, they're retiring today, and I'm like, yeah, good for you, brother, <clears throat> you know. But what's going on in my heart? What's really happening in here? Am I really happy for them? I'm saying all the Christianese words through gritted teeth and everything. Am I envying them? Am I jealous? It, deep down, am I struggling with anger too? Because that's not me. Now, if they have a tragedy, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Let's pray. You know, and my heart pours out for and all that and all the rest. You guys know. What's interesting is that, you know, the, the deeper the work of the Lord does in your heart, the more that when other people are blessed and rejoicing, you feel that same happiness and joy for them. And you are, are blessed with them, and, and you rejoice too. Oh, man, they got the job and the raise and all this and all that. It's like, excellent. 
Oh, the Lord's pouring out his blessing upon you. I couldn't be more happy. And if you mean that deep down in your heart, that's a deep work of the Lord that is working in your life and in your heart. And you know that, man, you know, not to puff ourselves up, but you know, wow, if I can honestly say that with my heart, I'm truly happy for you, sister. I'm truly happy for you, brother. The Lord has pouring out his blessing. If I can truly say that with a pure heart and mean it, oh, the work of the Lord is working in my heart. But if I can't, man, the Lord's got some work to do. And speaking of that, speaking of that, the Lord doing work in our hearts and in our lives, we kind of touched on it last week. The idea is this. Why, what is Joseph waiting for? Why doesn't he just, I mean, he's already, he's already cried twice. He, he sees his brothers. They're hurting. They're, they, they need all of these things, and they're just, they're falling before them. They're, they're desperate, and, and dad's at home. They, he, they bring their little brother. He's scared, doesn't know what's going on. One's in prison. This whole thing, why doesn't he just reveal himself to them? Why doesn't he just look at his people and say, his family, and just go, hey, guys, and start talking in their language, not the interpreter, and say, hey, remember the, the, the little guy that you threw in the cave and then sold to those traders? That was me. That was me. Brothers, and give them a big hug. Why doesn't he reveal himself right now? because the work isn't done. He's still got some things he's got to find out. He still has some things that he has to test and sense and, and get a handle on before he does that. The time is not right. And we briefly talked about this last week. Lord, come now. Come now, Lord. Wh why are you waiting? Reveal yourself this moment, just like we read in 1 Thessalonians last week. May the rapture happen this second, Lord. Could it happen? Yes. Will it happen? Yes. When? And why not right now, Lord? And the Lord would say, it's not time. It's not time. You still have a little bit of growing to do. There's still some testings that you need to go through, and there's still some work that needs to be done. Now, in God's timing, if he does take us home, whether that's the rapture or whether that's through death, whatever the case may be, when that moment happens, the work's done. And God controls that. The Lord is in control of that. Not you. Not me. Right? Yeah, but that's right. Not me, not you. He's in control of that, just like he's in control of a lot of things. You know, like your heartbeat. Okay, right now, everyone, stop your heartbeat. Stop it. Stop it right now. Just stop. Just say, mm, no. It keeps going. Why? Because he's in charge of that. All right, everyone hold your breath. Oh, I can do that. And you'll pass out, turn blue, and then you'll start breathing again. He's in control of a lot of things, the very basic things. And he's in control of the very big things. And just like we talked about last week, you know, he did prepare a place for us. And he's preparing you for that place right this moment. The work's not done. He's working in you. And those little things that we're pulling out of Scripture and these stories, yeah, it's a neat story and it's true. And we, we see a lot of things. But you know what we see is ourselves. And we say, Lord, oh, I'm that person sometimes. I'm 
envious. I'm angry. I'm jealous. Or I'm doubtful. That's what I love about the Lord. That's what I love about his word. He shows us ourselves so that we say, okay, Lord, do that work in me. Do that work in my heart and in my life right this moment. Don't let me leave those doors without you doing your work in my heart and in my life. I truly want to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mean it. I truly want to surrender my heart and my life to you because I'm desperate. I'm in these desperate times right now and I fall before you right this moment crying out to you. Lord, do your work in my life and do your work in my heart because I know you control that. You're in charge of that. And when the work is done, whether it's through my death or whether we're all done at the same time and we go up as a congregation, either way, it's good. Either way, it's good because the Lord is in charge of that and it'll be his perfect timing. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close on that one. We're kind of on a cliffhanger with the youth. We're going to find out more the next time we meet. Actually, not the next time. We're going to the New Testament. But we will revisit this, and we're going to find out more about the life of Joseph as we go through. And we will continue to extract these parallels and what the Lord would have for us as we do that.